Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully, so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, April 27th, and we're talking Facebook and Twitter earnings. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by senior tech specialist, Evan New. Evan, we were going back and forth on Twitter last night about Facebook earnings. It only seems appropriate <laughs> that we are talking about these two companies on the show today. Yeah, it's been a big week for us. Earnings season is, has begun. Yeah, it's our favorite time of the quarter. Uh, why, don't we, why don't we kick things off talking about Facebook? Um, this was a pretty hotly anticipated earnings release given all of the scandals and issues uh, surrounding the company in March. What did the numbers look like? So revenue came in at about $12 billion, uh, which is up almost 50% year over year. Uh, net income jumps over 60% to $5 billion. As you know, Facebook enjoys quite a bit of operating leverage, so they're able to really squeeze out more profit as their top line grows. And these are just insane growth rates. I mean, th- this is a huge company, and they're still putting up these massive growth rates. And the market seemed to love all this news, right? I think shares were up about 10% since the company reported results. Some of that, I think, was due to these financial numbers you just mentioned. I think a lot of it had to do with what we saw on the user metric side as well. You know, I think there were a lot of concerns that the delete Facebook movement after the Cambridge Analytica data issues uh, came out might cause this, uh, you know, meaningful dent in users going forward. The short answer to that is it doesn't seem like it has. Right. So monthly active users uh, were up, and they're now at 2.2 billion worldwide. Uh, daily active users is now about 1.45 billion, also up sequentially. So a lot of really strong numbers here, and I think that you know all these scandals that have been breaking over the past couple months certainly have kind of rattled investors to the point where you know the stock was down quite a bit uh, in the past several weeks after all these revelations about you know Cambridge Analytica, what have you. So I think that that kind of you know, sets you up for you know when they put up a strong core like this for the shares to kind of rebound a little bit. Yeah, and in looking at kind of the specific geographies here on users, um, a lot of the growth that we saw with those numbers came from Asia, but Facebook did post sequential user growth in every geography. So it's not like there was a, a big impact in the U.S. that was masked by uh, you know other geographies making up for it. Uh, we we saw growth across the board. Correct. Right. So DAUs in the U.S. and Canada were were basically up a little bit sequentially. Uh, but the important thing there is they were not down a lot after uh, these data issues. And the way that you know they calculate d- daily active users is that number. You know you do have to be logging in every day. So if they, even though the Cambridge Analytica stuff broke in mid March, you know kind of at the end of the quarter, if that was causing a big drop off in daily active users, you would actually see that start to manifest. Um, be, you know, in, in the numbers from this quarter, and you know, in the previous quarter, they've kind of hit the ceiling in the U.S. Canada, um, and because it's a very mature, saturated market, so you know, kind of holding steady there, which was, I, th- I think, reassured investors a lot. Yeah, it's possible that that MAU number might be influenced a little bit by the timing of the Cambridge Analytica stuff. You know, they, that is something where if you are active in the last 30 days as of the date of measurement, you know, it's possible that you could have deleted your Facebook account but have logged in in early March and still been counted as an MAU. Uh, the fact that MAUs and DAUs trended in the same direction says to me that that we're not going to have this massive shock uh, come next quarter when we see you know kind of more fully baked results of you know the post Cambridge Analytica world for Facebook. Right. So I definitely think you know there's a possibility that the fallout could continue. But yeah, I mean so far it really doesn't seem like 
um, it's impacting. And I think there's, there's been a lot of third-party evidence, too. There have been, you know, street analysts have been conducting surveys uh, around users, and Mark Zuckerberg has made some public comments that, you know, this isn't really infecting the user base very much. Uh, so this really just confirms the, those those data points. And if you were worried at all about advertisers leaving the platform, uh, average price per ad increased 39%, and the number of ad impressions served increased 8%. So, solid growth there, both numbers moving in the right direction. Uh, we're not going to see as much growth with ad impressions as we have in the past couple of years, simply because you know, ad load is, is kind of reaching saturation for Facebook and starting to get there for Instagram as well. Right. Uh, beyond Cambridge Analytica, though, something that management spent a decent amount of time talking about on the conference call was this GDPR. Um, this is kind of the other medium-term risk for Facebook, and I think it's something investors, if they are unfamiliar with, should definitely keep an eye on. This is the General Data Protection Regulation, and this is kind of specific to what's going on in Europe. Right. So this this um, regulation has been a long time coming. Uh, the European uh, EU Parliament uh, spent about four years debating this thing. And then it was finally approved about two years ago. Uh, so that's you know, six years right there. And then now it finally goes into enforcement next month. So I mean, there's been a lot of you know, runway up, up to this point. Uh, but it does have a lot of implications for companies that leverage user data, which obviously speaks to advertising companies. But the kind of basic rundown is it gives users a lot more control and basic awareness of their data, uh, mandatory notifications of data breaches. You have to be notified within 72 hours. Users have a right to confirm if data are collecting their data, how it's being used, how it's being processed. They also have a right to a free copy of that data, so companies can't charge users to give your data back to you, which would be kind of uh, <laughs> messed up. Uh, users have a right to have their data erased. So they can make companies stop you know, disseminating their data. They can have third parties stop processing. Uh, a lot of different controls. Um, there's also data portability, so da- users can have their data transmitted between companies. It's really just built up, you know, fundamentally for privacy. Um, and you know, the penalties can be substantial if um, companies fail to, you know, follow these regulations. Up to four percent of revenue for the most serious infringements. Uh, lesser infringements could be maybe two percent. Worth pointing out, like we've had before, that you know, oftentimes even if you do have face a fine, you can usually settle it for a lot less. So it's not like they would ever really realistically face the maximum of four percent. But specifically to Facebook, one thing that they mentioned was that you know, so another piece of it is that the conditions for consent have also been strengthened. So companies can't just obfuscate what they're doing with these like terms and conditions, dense legalese that no one can read. It has to be presented in an intelligible way. And on the conference call, um, Facebook management was saying that you know these consent flows, which what they call, there's a lot more of those that users have to go through. So that's why they're kind of expecting that in the second quarter, uh, user growth could be flat to slightly down. And that's kind of speaking specifically to the European market, right? Like that is not something that they're expecting will kind of broadly impact all of the geographies that Facebook is in. Correct. I mean, there there's been a lot of talk about. You know, people in saying, "Hey, you should roll this out to everyone," you know, or even if you don't, even if you don't have to, because it's clearly a very pro-consumer thing with privacy. But uh, Facebook hasn't really committed to it. But you know, I, I think you know there are people that are saying you should just put make this universal across the board, as opposed to only applying it in Europe where you have to. But we'll just have to see how that plays out. Yeah, and looking forward, um, looking at the numbers here, Facebook continues to sing this song of. Revenue growth is going to decelerate uh, throughout the year, and this is something that they've been saying for quarters and quarters and quarters. It hasn't really happened. I mean, it, it's it's tough to sustain the blistering pace they've been on, but 
I think a lot of people expected the drop off to be a lot more severe than it has been. Um, even if that growth holds, though, we might see some pinching on the bottom line. The company's doing quite a bit to roll out, uh, you know, what they're doing with headcount, some investments in safety and security, and so I think expenses are going to be coming in a little bit higher, uh, you know, kind of in the higher end of range for what they'd originally guided for 2018. Uh, also, uh, capital expenditures—they're now forecasting to be at the high end of the the previous range. Last quarter, they guided to about 14 to 15 billion in capex, and now they're saying that's probably going to be close to 15. Uh, most of that's you know data centers, infrastructure, uh, stuff like that. But yeah, another another piece of the the cost side of it. One tidbit that I really appreciated from this call: you look at the revenue growth they posted, forty nine percent year over year. Foreign exchange tailwinds contributed five hundred and thirty million to revenue in Q one, which accounts for seven percentage points of growth. That's absolutely incredible. Most of the time, when you talk about these multinational companies bringing money back, they're almost always eating some adjustment related to forex. They're almost never benefiting from it. Uh, is this like kind of a changing tide that we're going to be seeing here, Evan? Yeah, I mean, so so in 2017, the U.S. dollar had its actually worst year in 14 years. <laughs> so it's been weakening quite a bit over the past year or so. So I think that we're just seeing continuation of that trend. And specific in Q1. Uh, the U.S. dollar weakened quite a bit against the euro and the yen. So, you know, when you talk about the geographies like Europe and Asia Pacific, those two geographies are 40% of revenue in the first quarter. So, that's where you're seeing the these forex tailwinds come into play. Yeah, and a lot of the user growth was coming from Asia, so it, it stands to reason that they'd benefit if there's a rising tide there against the currency. Uh, of the United States, um, Evan. Looking kind of at everything, whole picture here. I'd say I'm glad that we held on to our Facebook shares. You know, we, we talked about the the Cambridge Analytica data breach a little ways back, and kind of how we were handling it as investors. I look at this company. I say this is a business that is just going to continue to chug along over the next couple of years. Um, they may not post incredible share price appreciation. You know, at 450 billion, it's going to take a lot for them to put up monster gains in a short period of time. But short of some huge regulatory hit, I think that this stock is just going to continue to ride and probably put up pretty solid market-beating returns over the next couple of years. Yeah, I think there was you know a lot of people saying that it, the sell-off from all the, these scandals was kind of an overreaction because the financials are are super strong, the fundamentals are are, are amazing still, and, and you know like we talked about before, it just reinforces how good the ads are. <laughs> um, so even though they they do have quite a bit of work to do on the user trust side. Um, you know, I think that those are manageable, and I think that they can do it. It will be a challenge, but I think that you know, Facebook has shown that it can execute really well. And these scandals are huge negative publicity, but they're still putting up amazing numbers. And what's been lost in a lot of this Cambridge Analytica and data-related issues is the fact that you know they still have two massive properties that haven't really been monetized. And so you know that you got some hints of this uh, on the conference call, some some discussion about what things might look like for Messenger, uh, what things might look like for WhatsApp, and this idea that there might be feed ads in Facebook or in Instagram that would push people to uh, to Messenger and kind of create these organic uh, communications between businesses. And consumers, uh, those are huge, huge growth runways for this business, and they're, they're kind of largely untapped at this point. So, you know, I think that there's still a lot in front of this company, even in the face of you know maybe some heightened uh, regulatory risk and and some skepticism from consumers. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think Instagram is, in particular, has a ton of upside potential. Um, all right, we are going to switch gears and talk Twitter earnings on part two of the podcast. Before we get over that discussion, though. 
Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends over at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allows you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool, equal housing lender, license in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. All right, Evan, turning our attention to Twitter, uh, this is a company. It's, it's a battleground stock. I think it's probably the easiest way to put it. Uh, you know, we have been kind of bearish on this company for quite some time. Uh, it's been a company that's performed pretty well though over the past year, and a lot of that has come from this idea that we're seeing it kind of turn the tides and become profitable. We saw more of that this quarter. Right. So they posted their first in the fourth quarter was their first ever gap profitable quarter. And this first quarter that they just reported is now the second consecutive one. So, you know, definitely they're showing that they they are able to to be profitable, which you know is certainly uh, something that investors should be concerned with because if they if they just constantly lose money, then it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and while this was the second consecutive quarterly profit for them, it was a story of of kind of different profitability, right? Like last quarter, it was really due to cost cutting, and and things changed this quarter. Right. So in the fourth quarter, it was basically all cost cutting, no revenue growth. The revenue growth is up like 2% or something, and costs were down like 30%. So in the fourth quarter, it was all cost cutting. But this quarter, it's the exact opposite. So costs were about flat in the first quarter, but revenue growth was up um, like 20 some odd percent. So it's the exact opposite story this time, where that profitability is really being driven by top line growth as opposed to cost cutting. What concerns me a little bit, though, is based on management's expectations for the rest of the year, we are not going to see particularly blistering growth going forward. Right, and and I think that the way they put this was kind of annoying. Like <laughs> in the letter, they basically said, you know, we're gonna we expect our sequential growth rates to be uh, similar to 2016 for the rest of the year. Which is like, why can't you just tell us what that is? Like, why do you have to make us look it up? And you know, like, why? Like, it's just kind of a weird way to roundabout way to say that we, we don't have great expectations for the rest of the year. I just found that kind of annoying. <laughs> well, what I appreciate, Evan, is that you went and grabbed the 2016 growth rates for readers on Fool.com so that they don't have to weed through all of this and figure out exactly <laughs> what those growth rates are. Uh, for, for listeners, Q2 2016 growth um, sequentially for Twitter was 1%, Q3 was 2%, and Q4 was 16%. Uh, so, going from uh, pretty you know strong revenue growth to uh, pretty muted revenue growth uh, is obviously something that's disappointing, and that's why we saw the stock sell off after they reported earnings. Right, and on top of all of that, uh, I, th- I do think that costs are going to be going up too because you know they still need to be investing in user safety, uh, harassment, and trolling has long been a problem, like far too long been a problem on Twitter, and they've always been really bad at it. Uh, there's still way too many Nazis on Twitter. I mean, they they really only started banning these hate groups um, in December, which was like just a few months ago, uh, after they had this new policy that basically forbid any type of association with any hate groups of any kind uh, went to effect in December. So, you know, starting to make some progress there, but they are going to be hiring a lot more for, for those teams. Uh, so, meanwhile, you know, the co- while we're talking about revenue not probably not growing too much, costs are also going to be coming up quite a bit too. So I think that's you know you, they could get a little bit pinched there, which I think is also part of why uh, stock was down. Investors were a little 
little little cautious. And uh, we always talk about users when we're talking about Twitter. Uh, the company now has 336 million monthly actives. That's up 3% year over year. Uh, not crazy growth, kind of what we've been expecting from this business uh, you know, over the last couple quarters. Uh, nothing too surprising there. Um, the U.S. user base in particular was flat, more or less, year over year. Uh, daily actives grew 10%. And as a point that we've talked about several times in the past when we've talked about Twitter earnings, we don't know what daily actives are as an actual metric. We rely on this percentage growth metric that they continue to provide us. Right. So, you know, we don't know the number, but directionally it is still good. Um, you know, engagement is still certainly on the rise. So that that's oh that's you know a good thing for for the company for sure. Uh, the figures I always tend to fixate on with Twitter is ad prices and impressions. For me, that is kind of the best indicator of the dynamics of the ad market and how interested marketers are are in being on Twitter. Um, you look at engagements for this quarter, and that's essentially the number of ads that were served up. Uh, those are up 69% year over year. And I think that's pretty good growth. It has slowly trended down over the past five quarters. It was up over 100% year over year uh, about a year ago. So that's that's slowly coming down. And cost per engagement, which is effectively ad prices, were down 28% year over year. And that doesn't sound great, but that's actually an improvement on the declines that they've seen in the past. This has been a number that's kind of been in free fall uh, for the last several quarters, uh, recently posting 60% year over year declines on top of, I think, something like 40 or 50% year over year declines. So uh, that doesn't sound super encouraging. Um, for both of these metrics, though, it's kind of a continuation of a trend that we've seen for a long time, making up for falling ad prices by selling more ads. Right. And I think the video is also helping play um, a more important role. Um, they said that now uh, videos are over half of all ad revenue, and it's the fastest growing ad format in the first quarter. So, and, and you know, video ad prices certainly you know, fetch higher prices than kind of other formats. So, I think that's also contributing to the trends that you're talking about. Yeah, something that's interesting that came up on the conference call was they were like, hey, can you unpack the CPE number that we're seeing here in this decline? And they said, well, some of that's attributable to video ads, and which to me says that video ads are fetching a lower rate on Twitter. And they said some of it is attributable to like for like. So, meaning um, the ads that have been available for a very long time are also fetching lower rates. So, uh, this number has continued to fall, and like I've talked about, uh, I think that we are getting perhaps closer to them hitting a bottom here uh, and maybe not posting as, as severe year over year declines going forward, which is something that would be very good for their ad business because. Even if they're able to grow impressions uh, slightly, if they find a floor, it's going to be a lot easier for them to post year-over-year revenue growth. Right, and I think that you know they are starting to get better at targeting, uh, which you know they're saying that they're having a lot better ad relevance and click-through rates, which uh, you know is probably one of the challenges they've always had. Because if you think about it fundamentally, like the, the amount of data that you put on Twitter versus the amount of data that you put on Facebook, it's just nowhere near the amount of of information that those companies can use to target these ads to you. So, you know, Facebook, you put so much stuff on there, which is why they're so good at targeting. But for Twitter, you know, you don't really put as much on there. So the fact that they're able to start, you know, squeezing more relevance out of the limited amount of data that you do give them, relatively speaking, uh, I do think that's a pretty, you know, nice progress and improvement on their on their part. Something that was kind of interesting to me in the conference call Evan was this uh, this quote from Dorsey, and he's talking about how uh, Twitter is not a social media platform. It's not it's not a connection platform in the same way that Facebook is. Uh, it's it's about news and it's about recency and information. And it was kind of nice to see management acknowledge that. Um, 
I, I think that if you're a Twitter bull, you have to be excited by the fact that that's what management is focusing on because that's what the platform does really well. Right, exactly. And I think that you know they've been trying to kind of distance themselves from this like idea of being a social media company in some ways because you know what they inevitably run into is these comparisons against Facebook, which again you, you can't really get away from that. But I think that they've been trying to because you know you, it's really. Anytime you're comparing yourself against Facebook, you're going to look bad. <laughs> so I think that's kind of what they're trying to do is like, you know, trying to be a little bit more nuanced with how they define themselves. And I think, and I don't think he's wrong in any sense because, yeah, I do think Twitter is much more useful for, you know, real time information, getting information from public figures, you know, not these personal connections as much, but more just like what's going on. So I do think that they're, you know, they're accurate in that sense but i just think it's kind of a funny thing i think that's what they're doing is trying to avoid these comparisons to facebook which will never go away frankly <laughs> yeah and then you are a frequent twitter user not a shareholder uh you are a facebook shareholder not a user is there anything <laughs> is there anything in the twitter report that really kind of changes your tune on this company no, I mean, I, I, I've started using it more as a, as a user because, yeah, I do think that it does provide quite a bit of value in terms of being able to know what's going on and, and stuff like that, which is what their pitch is. But as far as the financials go, I'm not really sold on it. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, they squeezed out $16 million in net income this quarter. Facebook just did $5 billion. <laughs> I mean, like, these numbers are just so far apart. Um, but, yeah, I'm still not really interested in owning Twitter as, a, as an investment because I don't think that they're going to specifically beat the market you know i mean they could maybe they'll be okay and maybe they'll have gains here or there but i don't see them consistently being the market whereas i do see facebook doing that yeah i'm kind of in the same camp as you on this one and and it's worth noting i mean the stock is up about 80% in the past year this is a period where we have dogged it quite some time so uh you know we have always been right on it i i continue to kind of feel the same way though where it's like if you're an ad business and marketers aren't flocking to you to um you know, to put ads out there and reach consumers, uh, you're going to struggle, especially if ad prices are continuing to fall. You know, you look at Facebook, and for as much growth as they've gone through, they still see these huge hikes in ad prices. That's just a testament to how strong it is as a platform for marketers. I don't see that with Twitter, and the audience isn't growing enough for me to like really be interested in it. Um, all that said, you know, the people that have bought the stock more recently have done quite well. And I think if any listeners want to hear more of a bull take on Twitter's earnings, check out this week's episode of Motley Fool Money. Uh, Jason Moser is on there, and he lays out why he loves this quarter's release. You know, he is a kind of permable for Twitter and has been <laughs> behind the platform for quite some time. So, so uh, yeah, if you yeah, want the alternate has. take, go there. <laughs> He's uh, definitely permable. Evan, anything else before uh, we wrap up and I let you go? No, excited to see Infinity War this weekend. I don't know if you follow the, the superhero movie stuff, but you know, for the weekend, I'm not a superhero movie person. I'm just not. It's it just doesn't work for me as a genre. I, I grew up as a comic nerd, so that's kind of why it's you know still hits home for me. I can't do anything that has predictable plot lines. That's that's really what it comes down to. Is I, <laughs> I appreciate the journey of the story too much, and if I know where it's going, I just can't enjoy it. Um, so you'll be watching a movie. Our producer, Austin Morgan, what will you be up to this weekend? I'm actually going to see Super Troopers 2 tonight. Wow. So it's a so movie-filled weekend. Movie-filled weekend. Focus. This crappy weather. It's supposed to be nice, though. Well, tonight, today. Today's okay. weather. This weekend, 
different story. Yeah, you'll be enjoying some nice sunny weather while you play baseball. Oh, yes. Yeah, sounds pretty good. I will be in a basement watching my friend's band play. So That sounds like fun. It's fun. Not the best way to spend a beautiful Saturday, I would say. I would, it's probably Saturday night. It is. There this you is go. true. There you go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can picture us doing all of those things. And if you have some takes on Twitter or Facebook, I would love to hear about them. Listeners, shoot them in to industryfocus at fool.com, or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. Uh, if you want more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows over at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.